And then this was the best. Stephen Carr, who was a business analyst and a business writer for the New York Times, I had no idea who he was because he was sit, standing outside my restaurant again while I was doing the build out. And you scrap it together in the beginning. Like my first build out, like I was staining my own floors. Like you put it together on a shoestring budget and you just get open as fast as you can because if not, it's just money going out with that register not ringing. Yep. And Stephen Carr was sitting outside. I thought he was homeless, like no joke. And he had, was smoking a cigarette and his ash was this long. And I was like, do you need food? And he and I started talking again. I had no idea the first time I met him and he left. And then weeks later, I was open and this woman was sitting there. I actually, <laughs> I had my daughter on my hip, my youngest, and I was pouring coffee. I was running around like an asshole, to be honest with you. I was not ready for, I'd never managed a restaurant a day in my life. Mm -hmm. I worked, I was a server. I had no business opening a restaurant in hindsight. But you did it, you fell forward. Like, I want to do this, I think I can do it. So I was holding my daughter, I was pouring coffee, and I see this woman taking notes, and I was like, I don't know what that's about. And then afterwards, um, my ex came, grabbed my daughter, and then she came up to me and she was like, can I talk to you? I'm so-and-so from the New York Times. Um, we're gonna put you in the Quick Bites. And I was like, how did you wind up here? Like, this was so out of my wheelhouse. And Stephen Carr, apparently told her about this place and told her about me. And at 35, when you have a bunch of young kids, you're a big deal to be like going out on your own. At least you were 16 yeah. years ago. You still are to this day. Yeah, but at 51, they're like, oh, nice, right? At 35, they're like, how are you gonna do it? This yeah. is amazing, yeah. you know? Um, and what I loved about Tammy was that she did, There was, it wasn't really a review, it was just everything positive. And even better was that she wrote in the fact that I had my daughter on my hip. Yeah, she gave a picture, a snapshot of what was going totally. on. Totally. It completely changed my Exploded life. Exploded it. Dude, we all have the best time ever to start a small business. If I'm not gonna be 100% in, I'm not gonna do it. Come on, man, just be yourself. Yeah, and, well, and just show up as yourself. If you don't realize what I'm really about, I'm about freedom, family, and my country. Amy, welcome. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the backyard, cheers. Cheers. I've really enjoyed hanging out, having a couple drinks prior to us hopping on. I know, I'm so glad that I got here early. Regular person, like everybody I grew <laughs> up with. Um, passionate about your business, uh, which is thriving and Indeed. doing very well. Thank you. Uh, I have to be very honest though, I've never been in, which is my fault. So I have to be honest, while I'm slightly insulted, it actually makes me excited because that means that I haven't saturated the market yet. Yes. So if you haven't been There's there. There's room to grow. Yeah. So we're good. But my wife has many times as well as her sister who's from Long Island and you have a friend from Long Island. And uh, I hear nothing but great things about your restaurant. When we first chopped it up, for those of you who don't know, when we talk to people coming on the fireside, we kind of vet them. Instantly I was like, Amy seems cool. I saw you and your friend at Charlie's mm -hmm. um, not too long ago, and I was like, I'm excited to have Amy on now. And I'm glad that you're here. And for those people who are in your world or on your social media who are going to watch this, I want them to understand what Fireside is all about. And it was about turning around and helping, helping the next guy or girl in line launch a business, become an entrepreneur, and really not get into the rat race, not be owned by corporate greed. Yep. And you're a representation of that. Uh, you have an amazing restaurant in Asbury. I know you have scaled that up to three now. Yeah, and you Asbury wanna, was the second. Asbury was the second. And I know you want to go far beyond that. Yeah. And uh, that's why you're here, and I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy, so thank you for being here. Thank you again for having me. So I'm going to 
chron- chronologically walk through your life. I want to get to know Amy. I want people to understand your story, who you were. Oh, right? boy. Everybody has, up. everybody has different paths, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's okay because they either walked a similar path or they walked a parallel path. And if you were able to do it and be successful and live the life that you desire and you're living, you were just in Belize and you're going to Italy <laughs> and you know, I hear all these amazing stories and I love that stuff because that's what me and my wife enjoy doing, making memories and traveling. And, you know, that person on the other end of this camera is able to say, hey, if Amy could do it and Ryan can do it and Evan can do it, I can do it too. So, born in Bergen County. Yep, born in Jersey City and then we quickly moved to Rutherford, New Jersey. Tell me about your childhood quick. Youngest of six kids mm. and probably the biggest thing that shaped me was parents. One was a Democrat, one was a Republican. That was when that was oh. okay. And it was actually brilliant and... Um, so glad that I had that experience. Do you think that goes on? And we're going to go down this path real quick. Do you think that goes on anymore? Like, I, you know, I actually have I don't friends think of mine can. that reach, have, I've spoken to, and they're like, you know, on dating sites, and they're like, I will not date a Republican, or I will not date. I'm like, that's just ridiculous, but yeah. all right. Um, yeah, too and, much animosity caused by the media, which we should all see through. Yeah, it's absurd. We can go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, um, we can go down but, any <laughs> rabbit hole you want. <laughs> so, yeah. I, this is Fireside America. It's you know it's fitting so born in Jersey City moved to Rutherford I think almost immediately I don't know that I actually lived in Jersey City for more than maybe 11 months so when you went from Jersey City to Rutherford you were going to the country because mm-hmm. it was the first place that's that kind like, of a funny thought yeah. <laughs> it was the country is there any woods even in no but there's trees yeah, a couple and, trees, yeah. like so, out, outskirts of the stadium and the wetlands yeah so that's East Rutherford yeah. let's not confuse the two because Rutherford is also a dry town. So it's really, really small. It's a dry town. And it's just your typical suburb of Manhattan at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty conservative area growing up. Again, youngest of six kids, four boys, my sister, then myself, and 14 age difference. Wow. And my parents split when I was six, which the only reason to bring that up is because my brothers had a huge role in raising In your life. Me. Yeah. yeah, huge. Um, so... So many of my musical influences and my sports and everything that I've done my entire life really, like, definitely got some stuff from my mom and my dad, but I got a ton from my brothers. It's so funny that you bring that up because I don't mean to seem cliche, but I could tell that you had brothers. <laughs> no, but I, Slightly I, a tomboy growing up, and by slightly I mean full on. Um, my dad, when I was in fourth grade, got me a shirt. You know, when you went to the places in, like, Myrtle Beach and they would do the iron-on shirts? Mm-hmm. And he got me a shirt that said, boy, my A blank blank, I'm a girl. Because mm-hmm. everybody would be like, oh, my God, Bob, this is your youngest son. And he'd be like, or my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a Dorothy Hamill haircut. I was the first to be picked on every, you know, school yard what was pick. Your, what was your, like, top sport? Uh, well, when I was in, like, third and fourth grade, it was, you know, playground football. And then once I got older, it was dodgeball. softball, and <laughs> I love dodgeball. I think we really should bring it back. Uh, we could do it in the backyard. And it would uh, settle a lot of scores. But eventually, I played softball and then basketball. And unfortunately, you know, I, I don't think I was five two when I graduated high school. And in Rutherford, you're really close to Kearney and Harrison, and you're in like these this area that the girls are already six feet mm-hmm. by the time you're in high school. So. Then I liked boys and other extracurriculars. Yeah. <laughs> I went a different route. Yep. Um, so sports kind of like fell off, but I was a major tomboy growing up. I was definitely a 
the prodigy of four brothers. So a big correlation that I like to bring together for people who are watching is athletes and success, whether it be an entrepreneur and you know, a leader in sales or somebody super driven to obtain their own financial goals or just win in their industry as a business owner. Um, so I could tell that you're, you're, you're competitive and you want to do well. And obviously you have that gene to yeah. have the success that you and, and your partner in Toast has. Yeah. Um, but it was something in you as a kid that you saw? Did you see anything that was like, I want to be an entrepreneur? Or did you identify with anything that said, I'm not going to go the traditional route? Definitely not. And I can tell you that when I was growing up, that word entrepreneur, aside of on the cover of a magazine, and that was under National Geographic and under Forbes mag magazine, that was the only time I ever even saw that word. When I was in college, there weren't entrepreneurial majors. That wasn't even a thing. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing I remember saying from a very young age was that I wanted to be independently wealthy. Mm -hmm. That's all I knew. My dad was a small business owner. He was in warehousing and transportation, um, and his start was crazy. He was like a one-man band at 13, 14 years old and used to steal his dad's truck. And he knew that there was bakeries in Jersey City that couldn't house their flour anymore. And he was like, I'll take it to my garage. And that grew into like a $30 million warehousing How did he know that at 14? I don't know how he knew it, but I mean, I have pictures of him. In Dad's my, still alive? No, he passed away about nine years ago. But he was like, you know, his father was off the boat from Italy. He was, you know, first generation. And he did recycling before recycling was a thing. Also in Jersey That's City. That's funny. Italians and recycling. Uh, <laughs> well, my dad's name was Rocco Ralph Russo, and he went by Bob <laughs> Russo for a reason. super Irish. <laughs> <laughs> and not mafia related at all. Um, and so I just grew up in these, like, what I considered blue collar, right? My, my dad, even when we went to restaurants, he would get his coffee in a paper cup because he was like, that's what I'm used to, even if we were dining in. So he was, like, really a truck driver by nature, mm -hmm. then got into warehousing, was in the National Guard, met a partner that had education and knew how to, like, bring it all together. So he partnered with him, and my brother actually still runs that company, and it's 60-plus years old. It's probably about 69 years oh, old shit. now. What's the name of it? Port Jersey Transportation. Port Jersey. I think yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're pretty big, and they had a resurgence during COVID. I mean, if there's a plus out of COVID, my brother literally turned that business around. Yeah. So. That's awesome. And, and so you do have that in your bloodline. Yeah, that. but again, I just looked at it as we're small business owners, right? Yeah, I but that a, was an entrepreneur. Totally. But yeah. it wasn't. That, it wasn't a that term. That word wasn't, it wasn't a term. used back then. Small business owner is a great term, too. Yeah, and that's what I, you know, self-employed. My dad yeah. used to just tell everybody he was self-employed, but he did, like, everything. You know, my dad went through a phase, you know, by the time I was born and or by the time I was seven or eight years old, he was pretty well established. But, you know, my brothers have a very different, you know, upbringing, you know, being that there's 14 years. And he sold mattresses and he sold Christmas trees in the parking lots. and He was grinding. He, oh, he was grinding. And he would do literally anything. And he also had some really funny, like, kind of shady shit go down mm -hmm. as well. Like, I remember going with him, and he'd be like, we're going to go pick up Brent from this guy. I'm like, you own that property? He's like, not really, but he thinks I do. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that he didn't. It was, like, on the other side of the fence. Well, you of never one seen of the his... Sopranos? <laughs> I have seen the <laughs> Sopranos. And I raised my kids in Bloomfield, so Holston's, where they shot the end scene, mm -hmm. was literally our, our place. James Galfini has a beautiful house out here. His family still owns. He was oh, really? super charitable after Sandy, you know, rest in peace but yeah he was always down here loved the shore 
you know, a block from where we're shooting this podcast. It's a great show. Yeah, amazing show. Yeah. I tried to get my wife to rewatch it. Actually, a Long Island girl has never seen it. Really? <clears throat> never seen it. Right, she says to... I start to watch it, and I all of a sudden, you know, think I like the thirty percent of me that's Italian comes out. <laughs> you start out. saying Christopher yeah. Yeah. and things like that. Because <laughs> yeah, I that, know I do. That was a cool time that 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 error lived through, and to be able no to doubt. hustle like that and steal your dad's truck and yep. go do something. But that, whether you realize it or not, I'm sure you do. Oh, now. it totally shaped me. Yeah, that shaped you. Absolutely. And actually, when my dad passed away, and I mean, from like diagnosis to death, it was like three weeks so we didn't have a lot of time he was 78 we were hoping to get to 79 and you know it just all happened really quick but the one thing that so many of the people that came to visit you know to the wake to whatever and even still because my dad eventually wound up in the restaurant business so I still run into some people like the guy who you know sells me my dishwasher chemicals they're like he was the last self-made man Mm -hmm. and I'm like not the last but I get what you're saying yeah you know that that generation it Different cats. Yeah, totally different work ethics and everything else. My dad didn't get past eighth grade, mm-hmm. yet he, you know, developed this amazing. Your dad company. and I have some things in common. <laughs> I was kicked out in the eighth grade. Were you eighth? Kicked out in the eighth grade to an alternative program called Pathways, and from there on out, it was really just babysitting. They were not teaching us anything. No disrespect, Mr. McKnight, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was kicked I out. I think in the you did grade. all right. Yeah, I could somehow formulate. Sentences, uh, last names I bastardize all the time. And what's the other one, guys? Charcuterie board? Yep. Charcuterie. Charcuterie. Do you have those at the toast? We do not. Huh. We're not that trendy. Yeah, that's too trendy. We hit the we hit the classics. That's too trendy for Asbury. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a charcuterie board at home, <laughs> but not definitely not at the restaurant. So, moving your story along and fast tracking it, you had mentioned to me that you actually never finished high school. I didn't. So this is, this is a coming out party. So the only, I have three kids, um, 18 to 23. And the only person that I've told this to is my son so far. And it was very apropos because he went to college for a year. It wasn't for him. He was feeling horrible about yeah, himself. Oh, it, so I was like, listen, you know, this is something you don't know, but this does not, this isn't the end of your story. This is just the beginning. Yeah. And so I told him, but the girls, well, now I can tell them because now they're, 18 they're now in college I just wanted them to finish high school because mm-hmm. I do have to say that I kind of I I mean it was kind of a baller move I didn't know it was at the time I didn't really have a choice I had too many days missing and they were like you're gonna have to repeat or go to summer school and I was like that's just not happening and I was young I was still only like 16 and a half in my senior year and I remember going to my dad and I was like listen so uh, I'm quitting school and he just looked at me he's like do you have a plan I was like, I do, because I knew that my dad was totally solution-based. Like, I couldn't go to him and be like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm quitting school. So he said, do you have a plan? I said, I actually do. So Rutherford's right next to Paseek. Paseek had a different uh, demographic. They had a lot of kids dropping out. So they actually created a program where you can get your high school diploma, not a GED. Like, it would actually be a diploma. You could basically go and... T- it was it was a GED, mm-hmm. but they made you feel nice because they gave you a nice yeah. certificate. They needed state and federal funding. Exactly. So I was like, I got this. I can go do this. And I wound up and you go in and you take tests, you know, English, math, science, whatever it is. Like, And I just went in one day after another after another because I wasn't not smart. I just hated Obviously, school. Yeah. I hated the way that they did it. Um, my brothers were dating my teachers. Like, they're doing bong yeah. hits on the weekends. And then... Yeah teaching me English and getting me in trouble. I'm like, this isn't working out for me. 
So <laughs> nowadays, teachers are doing much worse things, and I won't go there. But yeah, yeah. So I prefer that what your brothers had going on. Well, that they they had that going on. I want to touch on that real quick, though. Oh, I can't wait. Because high school. <laughs> no, I want to talk about you know high school. And, and listen, mm-hmm. you should strive to graduate if you can. I hated school. I didn't sit still well. Uh, I still don't sit still well. And it was something that I was never interested in. And I never understood that. Like, give me something I'm interested in. You can give me something that I can hyper-focus on. I'll retain it extremely fast. And I'll be able to regurgitate it in a really simplistic way fairly quick. And I think that's intelligence. And a lot of times we're judging intelligence based on this general broad stroke of high school. That would be like judging a fish's intelligence on its ability to climb a tree. A hundred percent. Right? So it's broken. It's, bullshit. it's, it's a so broken, broken system. I mean, if we look back and, you know, I've unfortunately didn't have the wherewithal when my kids were younger to say, like, this isn't probably the best way. I did. Did you feel out. bad? Maybe potentially encourage them not to do it? Oh, I actually felt like a complete poser at times. When I was like, no, go to this school, go yeah. to the best school. The best thing greens. for you, let's yeah. go private. A- absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the system's broken, and if you really research it at all, and you look at like when our school system was developed. What's broken about it? The books for five-year-olds to, to do sexual things? Not, I, you know what? That's even, I, I'm glad that there's something controversial again, but they developed the system how many years ago? I believe it was Rockefeller, actually, that kind of like had a big thing of developing the United States Why school system. Why do you system. think Rockefeller had a, a skin in the game to develop an education system? To create sheep. To create workers? That's it, right? So you have to create people that sit down, be quiet, learn like this, and Why do you think your dad the... wasn't that guy? No, my dad was definitely not he that came guy. From, he came from overseas. Well, my dad was born here. Oh, he was? It I was you said his parents, yeah. So my dad was born here, and I think by eighth grade, he, he was asked to leave, is the story. Um, I say I had a mutual disagreement and we both parted ways mutually. Yeah, I'm not kidding you. It was probably two years before he passed away until I found out actually what happened. He was asked to leave, but it was because he was selling fireworks, right? And my dad was born in like 1934. So he was an entrepreneur. He was an entrepreneur. He absolutely was. Was he going and to PA to get him? <clears throat> probably. Yeah. Who knows? A Let's get him off support. A lot of things fell off the back of a truck, yeah. like including every Jordache jeans that I ever had from like seventh to ninth grade. Including cars, yeah, you jewelries. Name it. It, it <laughs> fell off the back of a truck. Hey, it happens. So those were the good Bad days. Bad truck drivers. Yeah, exactly. Maybe the robots would be better. Oh. So Are we going to go down that road, too? Well, we talked about we that. We better stay chronological or else we're going to no, be all... No, no, listen. Listen, we, we can go all different paths. We're going to be bobbing and weaving. I could bob and weave and I'll bring us back. Don't Perfect. worry. So you don't finish high school. I don't. You go and get this high school diploma in Passaic. What did you do from there? <laughs> the funniest thing, probably the, the thing that no parent should ever do friend of mine from high school moved to California. She lived in Whittier. If anybody yeah, knows, no one should ever move to California. That is funny. Well, if you know Whittier, California, it's also, like, legitimately next to Compton. Um, she was... Safe place. Yeah, she was Puerto Rican-American, and I said to my dad, I'm going to go visit Laura out in California. And he's like, sounds great. Because at that point, my dad just didn't want to see me, like, in his face every single day. And I didn't have much of a plan aside of getting the, my diploma. And so I went out there for nearly two months, and I got into a lot of trouble. Like, I was going into parties that had metal detectors back in 1989. Mm. And going, to, back going to Tijuana. I was not, I, you know, I didn't even think to strap. I didn't even think of how dangerous it was. If my kids did what I did then, 
I have a problem with it. That sounded like me going to a boat race in Camden, <clears throat> and we were walking in Nikki's bar. Nikki Tulucci. Yeah. We're walking in Nikki's bar, and they're like, "We're gonna go through the back door and avoid the the." Uh, exactly. Whatever the hell they call it. Metal the metal detectors. detector. And I'm like, I don't know if we should be in here. Right. Well, I didn't actually even think that like far ahead when I was 17. Then I'm like driving down to San Diego, crossing into Tijuana, praying to God that I get back alive. Um, Tijuana's safe. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Especially then. So that's what I did for two months. Came back, went to Fire Island, and that's when I got the call. That started this conversation. Of, Fire Island's cool. You need to get your ass home and figure out where you're going to do next. And I your was dad like, was pissed. He was like, all right, you, you had enough fun time. Time to get to work. He was so pissed. So what did you do at that point? So I enrolled in that college. But before that, there was a very Pavlovian thing that went on with my dad. And I, again, didn't realize it until I was probably 40. Um, from the time I was nine, I had a job. I delivered newspapers. I worked at the roller rink. I worked as a dishwasher at one of the local bars in Lyndhurst. Like to the point, you like were I was, I was, I was hustling, and I didn't even realize at the time. But if I had a job, I never had to ask my dad for anything, or if I did ask him, it was a very quick yes, right? So, can I have movie money? Right, four dollars to go down to the local movie theater. Absolutely. The minute I didn't have a job, but again, it was never spoken about, and I never realized it until I was older. I didn't have a job. Those wow. hands were gone. Yeah. There was nothing offered. You want to, can I have movie money? Get a job. I was like, got it. So, again, very Pavlovian. If I worked, I didn't have to, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even need to use it. So let me interject. Do you think that that's coming back full circle now? Because I believe in the generation that I'm in now, people in their mid-30s are going to bring back savage kids. Absolutely. That, like, my kids will not have shit. I'll have way more wealth than anybody in my family has ever obtained. Uh, I probably already have that beyond what my parents did. And I love my parents. They had an extremely hard work ethic. Mm -hmm. And they took themselves out of what they thought was a bad area and, and moved us down here. And my kid will work for everything that he has. Absolutely. Stupid little things. Hey, you got a Hesh truck, buddy? Hey, you got to go clean up the room with mommy. And he's only three. You know, by the time he's seven, he's going to be hanging out in this backyard cleaning up you know, the beer cans or the waters or the cameras. I want my kids to understand that nothing is handed to you in this fucking world. And that's what your dad was trying to teach you. Yeah, and he absolutely did. And he instilled it. But, you know, again, I'm one of six kids. And, like, three of us got it and three of us didn't. Right? So you can do as much as you want and lay the foundation as much as you want. You still don't know what you're going to get on the other side of so it. So what did the other three do? Like, really, we want to talk about this? No, I don't. <laughs> they didn't work as hard. You don't have to go in detail. They, they, weren't, they weren't of the same They mindset. weren't, no. So there's three of us that were small business owners or are. Two of us so still your dad are. Was, your dad was 50%. Yeah. That's so my a pretty brother, good rate of return. My brother was. <laughs> that is a good rate of return. Now that you think about it. Um, and then three of them just kind of like just rogue. You know, I have a sister who, you know, didn't, didn't really follow that path. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, but... Two of my brothers, one owned car washes. He was actually a mechanic, a high-low mechanic for my dad for a really long time. And then my first foray into entrepreneurship or small business ownership was I actually opened a liquor store and a gas station on the same property. Um, and my brother ran the gas station. And one of my other brothers and I ran the liquor store. And I left my corporate life 
that I was in for about six years, and believe it or not, I loved it. What was that? It was in fragrance marketing and advertising for like the back of house fragrance houses. Mm-hmm. So like, we fragranced everything from Dior. Your IFF. It was a competitor of IFF, yeah. Jim and Onroar. We we raced that guy's boat, and he gave us a brand new dually diesel to drive the boat. Oh down really? To a boat race in Destin, Florida. Uh, do you remember the CEO's name? No, of IFF or Jim yeah, and Onroar. Of IFF. No, I don't. Anyway, it was really reckless trip, but a lot of fun. It was a great industry, yeah. and we can talk. He about seemed that. to be doing well. Yeah, it um, it was amazing. Is what I did after college. Um, where was I? Oh, the liquor so store. So went to liquor store. Where so, was this? In Bayonne, New Jersey. Bayonne, all right. Yeah, so there was dirt. My dad was in business in Jersey City, lived in Bayonne at the time, and he was like, hey, I have this opportunity. I was in the fragrance industry, loving my job, by the way, like loving it. And my two brothers are pretty blue collar. And my dad was like, I think you should do this together. Like, you've got, like, that other side. Like, you know how to work a computer. And they've got the grind. Well, at least my brother, my one brother did, my brother John. And... uh so we did it together, and then, you know, that saying, like, everything's for sale. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I feel that way exactly anymore, but back then I definitely did. And somebody walked into the liquor store and said, like, is this place for sale? And I was being a real smart ass. I was pregnant with my second kid, like, lugging around. I was driving a forklift around in the, in the liquor store. It was a pretty, it was like 8,000 square feet. And I said, everything's for sale. I was going to say, is this a liquor warehouse? Yeah, it was pretty big. Yeah. For back then, it was huge. And uh, it was 1997, 90, so I sold it in, opened in 97, I sold it in 2002, because this guy randomly said, is this for sale? And the total wise-ass answer was, everything's for sale. And he came back with an offer that I couldn't refuse. Plus, I was running it with one of my brothers that I was like, we're either going to continue to have a relationship or a business. Both couldn't happen at the same time. Family and business at times could be extremely difficult. Brutal. I would never do it again. Yeah. I mean, it can work out, I'm sure, for some people, but for in my dynamic, it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I sold the liquor store, and then a few years later, we wound up selling the gas station as well. And then I became a property owner, and that actually oh, kept Oh, so you me. guys retained the property. Yep. And we only sold the businesses, mm-hmm. which, again- Do you still own any of that property? I own all of it. Oh, you never let go of any of it? Nope. No so I'm not, I have it now for since 1997. What is it now? It's still a liquor store and a gas station, and we collect rent. And it's use- still a liquor store and a gas station. Yep. Do you know the Hudak Pharmacy? I don't. They're Bayonne people. Hudak? Yeah, Hudak. I, I think they started originally in Bayonne. Anyway, his house down here in Bayhead. Great huh. dude, Brian, son-in-law. That Bayonne connection can run deep. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to meet him. Um, but yeah, so I then stayed home for five years and had my second and my third kid. And then it was time to get back to work. And I was like, I don't want to go back to the fragrance industry even though I absolutely loved it but you're in at 7 you're home at 11 you're traveling all over the place which was amazing when you're not married and you don't have kids mm-hmm. and you're traveling on somebody else's Amex yeah. um, but then meet I was like, new people have oh, fun it drinks was amazing yeah. it really really was so fun because it's so closely connected to the fashion industry and back then I was like it matters what you smell like and mm-hmm. I'm like now it doesn't matter at all what you smell Kenneth like Kenneth Cole Black I'm wearing tonight if you were wondering oh okay very good I'm surprised I didn't know that actually yeah, you should have smelt it there's sometimes I, that actually that industry haunts me because I'm like are you wearing Angel yeah. and they're like no weirdo and then, yeah <laughs> I do freak people out sometimes so, it's my party trick but, but you said you said something that I, I think that America went backwards on it was like women need to go get big corporate jobs and women deserve this and that and I want every woman to chase down everything that they desire 
But in my opinion, they don't put enough emphasis on the mom owning a business who has the right freedom and flexibility to raise their kid and dictate their own hours. And as a business owner and as an entrepreneur, in my opinion, and I'm just some fucking guy with a podcast, I think that you have so much more flexibility mm-hmm. as a mom mm-hmm. in business. Absolutely. Than working for some big corporate structure. There's no doubt about it. So when I was going to go back into the industry, my kids were two, four, and seven. And I mean the industry of like the workforce. And kids were two, four, and seven. And I was like, that fragrance industry isn't going to do it because I'm never going to be able to raise my kids in it. There's, I would never see them. And that wasn't, I wanted six kids. I stopped at three because the... Jesus. The relationship kind of took a... Maybe your next marriage. A turn. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't jinx me like that. Um, so, gosh, you just totally threw me off. <laughs> Thanks for that. So anyway, they were two, four, and seven. And I was like, I wanted to be in the restaurant business because I actually, again, youngest of six, but also my family, the, the whole Italian-American Jersey thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot. Well, we also, love, we celebrated a lot. Mm. You know, we had the Sunday big dinner thing and who's playing the accordion and the tambourine. Like, God had, forbid you don't show up to Sunday dinner or the one-year-old's birthday party. You're it, out for life. Exactly. And doing the tarantella at the <coughs> weddings and doing the whole thing. So, but I loved it. I loved that aspect of it. My grandmother lived in the same town as us growing up. I spent a ton of time there and I was like, well, I want to be in the restaurant business because eventually, so just fast forward, my dad went from being in warehousing and transportation that he stayed in until he, he passed away, he was like the, the backer, like mm-hmm. the silent partner in a bunch of restaurants. So from the time I was about nine, I was around the restaurant industry a lot. Plus, we, social, like we had big company picnics. I mean, there was times where my dad had 300, 350 employees. And so we had these big company picnics, and there was all this social life. and there was A lot of relationships, too. It was awesome. There. Totally awesome. But I was like, I would love to be in the restaurant business. I don't want to be. That sounds like a boss. He was awesome. Um, But I didn't want to do nights, didn't want to do weekends and holidays and raise the kids. And I was actually at a restaurant in Long Branch one day with my dad. And we were talking about what I was going to do. And he's like, sounds good, sounds good, sounds good. And then I looked down at the placemat and the place was open from eight to four. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. Like, wait a second, I can do this. Plus... I used to go skiing. I, my, I was born and raised, like, going up to Vernon Valley and Vermont. and Where all, in Vermont? Pico yeah, and I Killington. Love, yeah, I love Vermont. Yeah. Manchester is actually the most recent little place that my wife and I discovered. It's awesome. Awesome. You know, not far from Killington. No, and, it's, it's a great town. Yeah. It's got, like, that, big, that one big farm. I can't remember the name of it. They have a huge, they have a bunch of farms. They have the Equinox golf course there. They have a ton of... Bars. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So my brother, um, who's the youngest of the boys, he and I were skiing all the time in Jersey and Hunter. And so he went up to Vermont. So I followed him up to Vermont. And we'd always go to these, like, amazing, like, big New England breakfast houses, right? You go to Sugar and Spice. You the go to this best. place. Amazing. Stores. Right. Like, just awesome. And, you know, these, like, sugar houses kind of a thing. They're doing their own maple syrup and this, that, and the other thing. And so when it came back to, like, my kids were two, four, and seven. I'm like, I should open a restaurant. My dad also was in the diner business, but these big breakfasts that we get when we go away all the time, whether it's, you know, go to Vermont, go down to Florida. It was different. It hit different. It totally was different. It was just elevated. I'm like, I think I can do this. And I thought to myself, 
if I can market it right, right? Because I How I was, old were you at this time? 35. 35, and you had three kids. Three kids, yep. Sold the liquor. Sold the liquor store when I was here. 30. Um, Still retained the real estate. Were you getting dividends and rent, or was that your dad's? I was getting passive income, which was really quite amazing. So yeah. my dad did lend us some of the money to, to buy the property and build the buildings, and then we quickly, like... Paid him back. His loans were, you can have it, but I want it back, right? Yeah. So those were the first paybacks. I know um, guys like your dad. What was that? I know guys like your dad. Yeah. You could have it, but you're going to pay me back. Yeah. And it was great because you just knew that that's what You didn't what have it first. without him. No. Absolutely. So just thought to myself, we need to have something like this in, like, the Bloomfield-Montclair area. And had a ton of places that we kicked the tires on. Had a ton of places that we were, you know... We even put offers in. We got it. Then during due diligence, for whatever reason, it didn't fell pan through. out. It just fell through. And so finally, a neighbor of mine who had recently moved to the same block as I was, um, had no kids, but she was kind of like my people. Her name is Erica. Shout out to Erica. Um, she was also a realtor. And she's like, I think I might have found a great place. And this is when um, LoopNet was like brand new, mm. right? And Now said, if it hits LoopNet, it's... It's it's no go. It's it's two-for-one sushi is what it is. Yeah. So she's shown me this place, and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And we had already been under contract with, like, three other places and did, you know, uh, soil testing and this, that, and the other thing. And everything was just falling apart. And I had the concept, sort of. I just knew that I was going to bring, like, that New England big breakfast thing to New Jersey. I was going to combine. So real quick, for people who have never been up to that New England, like— I've been to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is awesome. Kenny Bunkport, yep. Maine, Portland, Maine, you know, all over, you know, Vermont, all over, you know, the Cape Cod, you know, Nantucket. Yeah. I, my wife and I love that area and breakfast is our, our favorite meal. You know, you can't really drink Even at breakfast. Even have never been to toast, but whatever, go ahead. I, I said <laughs> breakfast in general is our favorite meal. Um, Explain what the New England breakfast is all about and what it really meant to you. And you briefly touched on it, but like really get into detail for those who don't understand that and haven't been up there. So if you're a skier or if you're just like a 17 to 22 year old that's going up and you're renting the house at Hunter or you're renting a place at... Snowmobile and drinking bourbon by the fire pit, whatever, mountains in the background. Like you do breakfast and you do dinner, right? You don't really do a real lunch because you're spending like $15 on mac and cheese at the lodge, right? Liquid lunch usually. Or that, or blackberry brandy was my, like, go-to. Uh, blackberry brandy and Sprite was my go-to on the mountain. Blackberry but the, brandy and Sprite? Yeah. Would like, you have a bellyache? It was delicious. If Ugh. you haven't had it, then don't knock it, is all I'm going to say. It sounds like... Do we have blackberry brandy here? We, we might, actually. My father-in-law <laughs> likes that when his stomach's upset. See? Well, drink it with some Sprite. It's delicious. So the New England, I feel like New England breakfast houses combine, like the sugar shacks of Canada and the New Jersey diner and they have a baby. Mm -hmm. So you kind of get, you know, you can get a cheesesteak at 7 a.m., but you're not really going for that. Mm. You're going for these, like, big, it, they're heavy. Yeah, sausage. And everything Real has, food. I was going to say, and there's no hollandaise sauce. Yeah. There's, like, it's covered in cheddar yeah. or, you know, Vermont cheese Vermont of some cheese. So, sort. You know, their Eggs Benedict is really not Eggs Benedict. Mm -hmm. they, the Menden Myler was this... Um, the famous dish at this place, Sugar and Spice, that I went to. And I realized, I was like, this is Eggs Benedict with cheddar cheese on top of it, and it's amazing. Yeah. You know, and the hams are just like, you're not using, well, you're using Canadian bacon, but that's not like the American version. Mm. Um, it, they're just giant breakfasts that you should be 
And I always rolling said to myself, out of. I always said to myself, "Am I feeling I love this breakfast because I'm just looking at mountains in the backdrop or the people?" Funny story about Vermont. We went up to uh, Woodstock, Vermont, mm-hmm. and right outside Woodstock, Woodstock is owned by the Rockefellers. They donated it to the state of Vermont years ago. Beautiful property. If you've never been up there, it's awesome. Again, right next to Killington. About two miles out was a small little inn. And right next door to it was this country store. And for five days, my wife and I went up there. They allowed me to light a fire in the room. That is definitely dangerous, not allowed in New Jersey. And uh, I went over to this country store, had this amazing breakfast. And I said to myself, like, is this just like amazing? Because I'm in Vermont with these different people. So I go up to pay. And I'm talking to this lady. She's like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, Jersey. She's like, where in Jersey? I said, oh, down to shore. She goes, I'm from Manasquan. I grew up there my whole entire awesome. life. And I'm like, oh, so I guess it's not the people. It's just it's just a vibe. It the is food. a vibe. It's definitely a different vibe. And like those country stores, like I grew up with general stores, yeah. you know, and you would go, they're amazing, right? You can get a pinky ball, like some Haagen-Dazs. Yeah, an old gun. A, a kite. And some amazing breakfast all in one location. Mm -hmm. I'm like, sign me up. I'm in. So I actually tried to do a little bit of that. And if you think about it, it's kind of like Cracker Barrel, right? Mm -hmm. The difference is it's not owned by a corporation. And that's why Cracker Barrel 100 years ago used to be awesome. And now it's crap, right? So now you go in there and you're just like, Well, most uh, woke things go to shit. that's That's unfortunately, like, I feel like the way that those New England breakfast houses do it, they do it so right because maybe they have three or four, but that's it. Yeah. Like, and the three or four are run by the cousins. Well, it's made with love. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's no bullshit. There's no pretense. There's They don't give a crap about mm. Instagram likes. No. Right? They just do what they do. They're the, the employees alone, right? You go into these places and everybody has a story. Yep. You know, there's not... And they're happy to tell you about what to do and the oh, town and the food absolutely. and just... They're like and an ambassador to the area every single time. It's Lake like, Placid's like that a lot, too. And it's got, Lake Placid's gotten a so little... So, interestingly enough, I've never been to Lake Placid, but I've been asked if I've been to Lake Placid at least five times in the last seven months. Go so. stay at Mirror Lake Inn. <laughs> Seriously, next winter. Stay at Mirror Lake Inn. It, it, it's amazing. Yeah. You can go get some cocktails right on the lake. I've never been. I can't wait. Which is a part of Mirror Lake Inn. But I remember having a breakfast up there. We walk in. Again, picturesque, over the ice, mount, mountains in the backdrop. We walk in, this guy's telling us, he was so awesome, telling us all about the area. And I was asking about snowmobiles. I'm a big motorized guy. I'm not really a skier or snowboarder. Mm -hmm. My wife is. And uh, the first thing he said to me, he's like, the best drink on the menu is bourbon orange smash. And I'm like, salt. Yes, sign me up. I love bourbon. I love orange juice. Usually orange juice and vodka, right? And uh, just that same feel up there as well. Same exact feel. Yeah, they're just like, they're different they're american you know like that's like the embodiment of it they are country folk they're simple they have their ways and they don't they're not woke right they're just like they do a lot of people think vermont's like a uh a liberal state but they still have a right to carry it's they defer to the federal law so they have no no not that we're talking guns but you talk about liberal states like a california or jersey although jersey just uh, just approved the right to carry um, because it's a you know it's, it's our constitutional right, 
up there, they're not caught up in that shit, and they never have been. Even still to this day, like I said, we were in Manchester they're nine not. months ago. They're, they are, like, by the university in Burlington and places like that. Yeah, where Bernie is. Right. And yeah. But outside of there, I find it the same way. I find it, like, Very actually, country. It's liberating. Um, you ever think about moving up there? No, never. Not anymore. Yeah, you just vacation and I used to love it and honestly when I was in the fragrance industry and it was like that whole rat race I used to go to the mountains and go skiing and come back with like because my big thing I was did concept development right mm-hmm. like creative concept development for all these like major gonna, companies I know where you're going I'm excited about this and I used to go to the mountains and I'll, all of a sudden I'd be like kind of like the, the writer's block and I would go skiing for a day an hour a weekend and I would come back and I would be like firing on every single cylinder that is me and again Pavlovian, you realize that when you get away from it all and you get like, I mean, clear head, it's amazing. The ideas that I would come back with and literally I would come back with copy in my head Mm -hmm. just from having four hours on a mountain. Yep. And so it it became, you know, my refuge from everything else that that is my my dream for for my wife and I is to pretty shortly here build a cabin up in the Catskills or Vermont we love Vermont but the Catskills is just such a stone throw away yeah it's quick you you know we're gonna have kids in in a pot or or school depending on what the hell they do with all these chemicals that they want to inject that's for a different day (laughs) but uh, you know I go up there and I become a different person like I really do and it's funny because at that phase of my life, I really needed it, right? And I, when the kids were younger, I mean, all my kids are, you know, snorkelers. Run, 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 run. them into the ground, yep. right? Like, so it's winter. All of a sudden, you can't go to the park. You can't play soccer. They're not outside playing basketball. You're forced to just... And I was like, let's go, right? Yep. So we'll get them out on the mountain there, and they'll go snowshoeing, and they'll do this and that. And then you kind of... And honestly, the last 15 years is probably the least amount of time that I've spent in the outdoors. But instead, like, I turned to hiking and I turned to just, like, taking walks. And I'm near the beach and I'm near the water now. Mm -hmm. But it all does, it all really does have the same effect. You have to step back. And, well, at least if, if outdoorsy things are your thing. It really does make a huge difference. The reason I, I spent more time on you describing all that is I want the people who are watching, who have a restaurant concept, to understand the passion, love, deep thought, and the critical thinking that went into Toast. And that, like, I need to get there, like, this weekend. And I will, I promise you. <laughs> because well, everything everything that you described is what I and my wife love. And again, she already loves Toast. But, like, that's amazing. And you took that passion and all those experiences and said, how do I duplicate that in Jersey? So... Moving the, the story forward, when did you launch your first store and where was it? So I was 35. It was 2007. It was in Montclair. So I was living in Bloomfield at the time, um, raising my kids there. And I thought to myself, if I opened in this area, and I was looking, like I said, there was a bunch of things that fell through. So I was in Bloomfield. I was in Montclair. I was, but I wanted to be pretty close to home. And so we found this great spot in Montclair. And... We opened, and I thought to myself, if I give a decent product, which I knew I could do, because um, I'm a foodie, again, big social family. So I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to be able to have a restaurant, be social, see the people that I want to see anyway. And I don't have to stay there till 2 a.m. And I don't have to stay there till 2 p.m. 2 a.m. and I don't have to clean up after myself because I'm going to have a staff. Yep. At least that's what you think in the beginning, which, by the way, you are the staff. Yeah. Um, Always. Forever and still now, 16 years later. Um, so I thought, 
you know, you have young kids. I had somebody that was in Taekwondo. I had another kid that was, you know, we went to a church. We did this, we did that. And I thought if everybody that knows either me or my kids tries me once, I give them a great experience. They tell two friends. It literally was like Vidal Sassoon. Experience. That's it. You got an experience when you came here today. I did. I can't wait to come back. Like you, I'm going to come just when you're filming other people. You said that, right? <laughs> and, and, and I hope that we put out a great product for people to learn from and, and, yeah. and enjoy great stories like yours. But the experience is everything. You can have so-so food, but if you have great service and you create a memorable environment, it's everything. And that doesn't mean just a restaurant world. It could be a podcast. It could be your financial services. It could be a law firm that's different. It could be a coffee shop. An experience is everything. And that's a nugget for you who, are, who is watching this show, whether it be your guests that are going to tune in or, or the people that watch on a weekly basis. Create the experience. An older gentleman told me that. I was in a very successful mastermind that I was invited to as a young guy. And I went up to this gentleman, and he created the greatest experience in the financial services, private jets everywhere and all this awesome stuff. And he goes, Ryan, I'm not that smart. I just create good experiences and he like took a shot and walked away from me. And that stuck with me forever. So sorry to jump no, in, but experience it's so is, true. Is like everything. I didn't create eggs, any, like two eggs on a plate with toast and potatoes. Yeah. But I created an environment where if you're six or you're 65 and you come in there, you're going to get awesome service. And like, again, I grew up in the diner industry mm -hmm. uh, or in the, the diner world. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was that or these New England breakfast houses. And when I worked in college, I worked for a more fine dining restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we don't give here in New Jersey at the time. We didn't give breakfast the same respect as far as the service and everything behind it as they did. Mm -hmm. Right. You have diner waitresses that are like, what, are you guys ready to order? Yeah. And like throwing saltines across yeah. the table. I loved every second Smoking of it. Don't cigarette. get me wrong. Exactly. They reeked like smoke. They were like flicking their cigarette butt out while you're walking in the door. I'm like, oh shit, I got a table. Um, and I was like, I'm going to take, I'm going to elevate this so that you're going to get the same experience as a, from a service point of view that you would at a great restaurant, not a pretentious restaurant, but people that were like silent service, right? You're, you're attentive enough, but you also know when to walk away because mm. you're going in there to talk to your, you know, your, your wife, your kids, your family, your boys. You're not in there to, like, hear the entire life story of people. Um, At times, you know, my wife and I are. You know, I, I want to engage. I talk to my wife. Line. Uh, yeah, There is, but I talk <laughs> to my wife every single day. Right. So we really enjoy, and, and I don't say this because I don't want to talk to my wife at the restaurant. We're, we're raising kids. Right. We're busy. It's, it's go, go, go. But... I want to talk to the bartender. I want to talk to the waitress or waiter. Well, I think you touched on this earlier, too, when we were just chatting before. Like, I always sit at the bar, right? Yeah. So it's interesting. So Chris, my boyfriend and I, who you've met, we sit at the... Boyfriend? I'm going to beat you. Um, so it's funny because we sit at the bar all the time, and I don't think that that was something that he did prior to me. And when we first started dating, I think we had one date that we sat at a table and then after that, I was like, do you mind if we sit at the bar? And there's so many reasons for that, right? Like, you get to engage with the, the bartender. You get to engage with the people next to you. And yeah. there are so many people. Like, we were just at the Bonnie Reed. Well, we were there tonight, but that's neither here nor there. But we were there Sunday. And the people next to us, they're like, oh, my God, we met you. You're the toast. We're going to Italy. You were in Italy. Yep. Like, and all of a sudden, like, we're old friends. We've met them one time. You're so interested in other stories. That's what my wife and I like. It's great. So... 
In that case, absolutely. But you have also had those experiences where you go to a restaurant and the server's telling you their life story and yeah. you're like, well, they're oh brain God. dumping on you. Can I please? Johnny me? left me. I just yeah, need my I'm pancakes. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. need my pancakes. And coffee first, yeah. and then we maybe I think we it's can... genuine people and good people. You know, whoever it is, the, the communication back and forth is yep. good. So you launched Montclair. How long did you have that? So I had it for four years. And honestly... Big I, hit? Huge. Bigger than I'd ever anticipated. Mm-hmm. I went into this with a one restaurant in my head. That was so it. So for a small diner, deli type of person looking to go in that world, what were your revenues three years in? So I have to tell you, our revenues were pretty much exactly where they were for five years, almost immediately. Mm-hmm. So we were we launched, we opened in May, so that like first six months I don't even count. But by our first year, we were at like 1.5, and then it was like 1.6, yeah, 1.65, 1.7, and that's kind Same of same space. Yeah. How did you feel you were growing the revenues? Were you maximizing tables? Were you turning them more? Turning them quick. Turning them quickly, and the other thing is, is like, you know, luck is luck, sort of. Um, we did get very lucky in this sense. We opened in a town, and I didn't know this prior because I was not in this world. Montclair had no idea how media heavy it was. Like a ton of people that work in news and at the, the New city. York Times and in the city, they lived in Montclair. Again, I didn't know that. That wasn't like the world that I came from. And I, at that time, was living in Bloomfield, which Bloomfield is just the next town over. Mm-hmm. But at that time, there was Upper Montclair, Montclair, and then Bloomfield. And that Bloomfield was like the other white meat kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I was doing the build out, and two things happened. Steve Adubato, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He d- he's like a more local, but I think he's on like some Fox and NBC stuff. He's a local newscaster, and he walked in, and he recognized me just from like kids and stuff in town. He was like, what are you doing here? I'm like, it's my place. I'm building. He was like, no kidding. I'll come back in a, in a few months Do and a check it out. That. Right. Yeah. And then this was the best. Stephen Carr, who was a business analyst and a business writer for the New York Times, I had no idea who he was because he was sit, standing outside my restaurant again while I was doing the build out. And you scrap it together in the beginning. Like my first build out, like I was staining my own floors. Like you put it together on a shoestring budget and you just get open as fast as you can because if not, it's just money going out with that register not ringing. And Stephen Carr was sitting outside. I thought he was homeless, like no joke. And he was smoking a cigarette and his ash was this long. And I was like, do you need food? And he and I started talking again. I had no idea the first time I met him and he left. And then weeks later, I was open and this woman was sitting there. I actually, <laughs> I had my daughter on my hip, my youngest, and I was pouring coffee. I was running around like an asshole, to be honest with you. I was not ready for, I'd never managed a restaurant a day in my life. Mm-hmm. I worked, I was a server. I had no business opening a restaurant in hindsight. But you did it, you forward. But I was forward. like, I wanna do this, I think I can do it. So I was holding my daughter, I was pouring coffee, and I see this woman taking notes, and I was like, I don't know what that's about. And then afterwards, um, my ex came, grabbed my daughter, and then she came up to me and she was like, can I talk to you? I'm so-and-so from the New York Times. Um, we're going to put you in the quick bites. And I was like, how did you wind up here? Like, this was so out of my wheelhouse. And Stephen Carr apparently told her about this place and told her about me. And at 35, when you have a bunch of young kids, you're a big deal to be, like, going out on your own. At least you were 16 yeah. years ago. You still are to this day. Yeah, but at 51, they're like, oh, nice. Right. At 35, they're like, how are you going to do it? This yeah. is amazing. Yeah. You know, 
Um, and what I loved about Tammy was that she did, there was, it wasn't really a review, it was just everything positive. And even better was that she wrote in the fact that I had my daughter on my hip. Yeah, she gave a picture, a snapshot of what was going on. Totally. It completely changed Exploded my life. Exploded it. Yep. So from May to August, we were like, we were chugging along and we were doing okay. And then that article ran, and it was little, teeny tiny. Um, and that was it. I had 45-minute so waits, That was the takeoff phase of Toast. Absolutely. We have a great hit. Media yep. gives you a lot of love that helped you send Montclair. How long have you had Montclair? And it's still open today, correct? Yes. So I've had it since 2007. So we're going to be coming up on, oh, it's May soon. Yeah. So we're going to hit our 16th anniversary. Wow. And still in the same exact spot? Same exact spot and has honestly, like, we've been flat here or there, but for the most part, you know, we opened in 2007. Everybody knows what happened in 2008 with the market. And honestly, I was so in it at that point. Like, I wasn't paying attention to what was going on in the rest of the world. I was under a rock of, you're the barista, you're the line cook, you're just in it, right? You're raising kids and you're going to work. Gas pedals down to the floor. That's it. Um, I'm not Take a, a lesson. It's a fake recession right now. Make sure your foot is on the gas pedal. It has to be. And we were, I guess, fortunate because a lot of people weren't going out for big dinners anymore, but they still found us very affordable. Yeah, they want to get out with their family, do something. And you could have this amazing experience at brunch still and feel really special and feel like you did something special with you and your family. Um, so we weren't really... Are you, I, are you willing to share the revenues of that? You know, starting out at one five, one six. You don't have to go into detail. But. No, 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 it's fine. I mean, it's not too much greater than that now. But again, we have for, same, for breakfast, know, you're still like 1.8. Yeah. But 1.8, 1.0, almost 9 it's at much, its highest. It's pretty significant for yeah, any big restaurant. Big margins on breakfast. Never mind something that's selling. No liquor, right? Mm-hmm. We are, where we're open from 8 to 2, Monday to Friday. 7.33 on the weekends, so you have your nights, you can still raise your kids. So there was this whole, oh, we started talking about that earlier, like mm-hmm. things that fit your lifestyle type mm-hmm. of a thing. That, for me, fit my lifestyle. Well, you should build, like, I think a lot of people who go into small business or entrepreneurship and definitely people in the corporate life, it's like, I want to go make X, I want to have a house here, and they kind of build their life after their work because they're chasing that income. And as a business owner and an entrepreneur, what you're able to do and what you should be doing is, I want to live here. I want to have this many hours. I want to be this flexible. And then you build the work life after that. And that seems that's something you were doing. Yeah, 100%. I built the, the restaurant and the type of restaurant that I built because I had young kids. Yep. And I knew that I could do both. Was it exhausting? A thousand percent. Work-life balance, for the most part, in the very beginning, is kind of bullshit. Yeah. Um, it's counterbalance. Yeah, as much as many things as I could have missed because I did it the way that I did it. Like, I brought my kids to the restaurant in the morning. I would feed them breakfast. They would finish up their homework. Um, I would open the restaurant. I would get everybody in there, and I would shuttle them off to school. I would come back, and then the most that they would have to stay in, like, any kind of an aftercare, if at all, was literally a half an hour, mm-hmm. right? So the, the hours worked out for my lifestyle because I wanted to... Be a like, mom. I wanted to be a mom, and I wanted to own my own business. Mm-hmm. And so to do it in the breakfast space was absolutely, like, the perfect 
it was the perfect balance. So when did the second location? So the second happened four years later. And again, when I went into it, I, I had no idea that I was going to open more than one. I knew that I wanted the one. That was about it. And then it was it. And I thought, all right, let's see what else we can do. And I was looking all over northern New Jersey because I knew enough to know that I should be able to kick the tires. So I took very little vacation at that point in my life. But I happened to rent a friend's house down in Bradley Beach. And while I was down there and I was, I have three very lifelong friends, like college roommate kind of thing. So I was in Bradley Beach renting a house. I invited them down, my three friends, Jean Marie, Tammy, and Nicole. Actually, Nicole wasn't there, but Jean Marie and Tammy were. And I left the kids on the beach with my friends because I got a call from a friend of mine from Montclair. And she said, I'm not sure if you're interested, but I'm passing by this place in Asbury. I think it's an up and coming town again. You should go check it out. Literally left my kids on the beach with my friends, my college roommates, went and checked it out. And I walked in and I was like, oh my God, this is it. And I thought to myself, well, this will be great. It's seasonal, right? That's how I saw it. It'll be seasonal. I can have one and a half restaurants. I can do this, right? Summers are a little bit slower in Montclair. Kids are out of school. Kids are out of school. We can rent a place down here. This will be perfect. Um, Give my family the full experience. Yeah, so I called my dad, right? So, of course, because he was the person that even if nothing else, and I never actually physically worked for my dad. He was just always, like, in the back of my mind. He was your CEO in a a sense. Yeah, he was... uh, Again, my dad was like my dad and my mentor, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know that I appreciated as much as I did once I got older. Right? When I was younger, 20s, 30s, it wasn't really dawning on me that they, he was actually both. But later on, I realized it. So I went over and I checked it out. I called my dad. He met me there the next day. Hold on real quick. How important is mentors? Not just your dad, but mentors so, in Interestingly general. enough, I didn't think, like when I was in my 20s, I remember being in the fragrance industry and my boss at that time was kind of shitty. I mean, it was kind of like Devil Wears Prada stuff. Like I was getting phones thrown at me and it was all because of like her um, disorganization. And she considered herself a mentor to so many and it gave me a a bad taste in my mouth of what mentorship really was because she was more tyrannical than she was a mentor. Fast forward, I think mentoring is probably one of the most important things that you can have in your life and you find them in very different ways. And people, I, especially for me, when I was in my 20s, I thought mentors always had to be older, always had to be, you Could know. Could be the same age. I have a mentor right now, the same age as me, you know, Keaton Hoskins. He's same same age. age. They could be younger. Yeah. You know, you just never know. You've got to be open-minded have, to that. Your ego has to be removed to, to yeah. deal with someone younger. And I think the coolest thing about mentorship now is, and where I feel like I've organically become a mentor to a lot, um, you have to be, I, so this woman that I worked with, sorry, I'm babbling a little bit. She, it was like knowledge is power and I'm not going to give any of it because she wanted to feel the most important person, right? Yeah, good leaders create other leaders. And it's so true. And now, like anybody who will listen, mm-hmm. and that's usually my gauge as to know if somebody's really going to like, has got it and is going to like, you know. Use it. You'll, you, you'll waste and your energy And knock it out of the listen. park. Yeah. If they immediately shut you down when you're trying to just give your experience, you know right then and there you're like, this is going to be a problem. I struggled with that because I I struggled through so much and I battled through so much to get to success 
that I wanted to just, you know, help and help and help. And I'm a, I'm a truth teller. Like, I don't give a fuck what you think. I'm going to tell you what you don't want to hear about yourself to better your life. But you have to be willing to receive that. And so message. many people are not. They're not. So you have to wait for the right people. Right. So you and you try. Right. You hear people that are, you know, talking. I'm like, listen, I have a Ph.D. at this point in what not to do. Mm-hmm. And that is way more important than what to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. But if you're. Limit the downside. And you don't, listen, you don't want suggestions, Sue. Like, you don't want everybody to tell you how to run your business and what you should do. That is you like, should get this coffee and you should do yeah, this. Yeah, my and, ears, like, yeah. shut like a gecko the minute somebody says, like, you know what you should do. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, but if you literally have experience that you're trying to give to somebody and they still kind of, like, knock it down or don't re- return the call or yeah. ask and never. You stop. You start to reserve that, that advice. You're good, right? Yeah. Like. I'm, I'm good. You're going to make your mistakes the way that you make them. And honestly, now at 51 years old, I realize that the people who are not willing to receive, they're usually out of business in yeah. three it's, months to three years. Ego. Ego is such a big thing. And, and all of us as young business owners. Ego is brutal. Yeah. And even an older business owner, like yeah. you don't know what you don't know. A lot of business owners are stuck playing with the beepers when cell phones have been out for five years and yeah. I, I mean social media this you know like toast is is rocking and you have a great social media yourself already so kudos to you and whoever helps you with that but you know you. social media is a huge turbocharger to what you're doing in person if you're not using it you're, you're falling behind no doubt and that was something that again i didn't grow up with social media right so and i was in the marketing world before social media existed i was in the marketing Different world marketing world though Oh my gosh. Same concepts of the, of the, the no the doubt, but I mean, you know, if you think about it, like print advertising and you know, uh, scent strips. Again, back to my fragrance world, like scent strips were brand new when I was in the marketing world. The internet literally came in on my second job in the fragrance industry, and we were getting classes, and we, like it, we were all blown away because we were doing market research where you had to go to a facility, have the one-way mirror, have people that you were coming in you know, trying your deodorant, your fine fragrances, your laundry detergent, whatever it was, you'd sit behind the glass as the client. Like, that doesn't exist anymore, right? Yeah. There's no reason for that. You can reach thousands, yeah. millions of people by I think, posting you know, online. One post, one post is my elevator pitch to 30,000, 50,000, a million views. It's crazy. On a reel. Now, I, I took this story off track talking about mentorship. <laughs> but, you know, you at the time said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go down to Asbury. I'm going to open this place up. It's going to be seasonal. What happened? It blew up quick because what I don't think I realized was the cachet that the brand already had. Like, the whole, like, you are your brand. Like, I was my brand. Mm-hmm. I am as... Live that it, was the other it, thing. People it. ask me all the time, like, why were you successful and other people weren't? I'm like, I'm the most average woman I know. I will eat dirty water dogs. I will go fine dining. I can dress up. I can be super casual. You know, there's like five times a year that I look like halfway decent. The other times I'm grinding. If I went to the gym that morning and I drove my kids to school, that's how I went to work. Mm. And people actually just could relate and appreciate it. Yeah, relatability is a huge thing. Huge. Because, and the other thing is, is that knowing the owner, and even if you don't know the owner, you're feeling like you know the owner, and you realize that she just came from the Y because yeah. you saw her at the you're Y. You're the same. And you're in, right? Again, it's that you try, one person tries it, tells two people. and So what were you doing? Were you, were you running between both restaurants? As the I owner? was. So I will tell you this. To, so it took me four years to open. So many people try to get to the next one so quickly. I didn't have any intention of opening the second restaurant, 
But when I look back at it, I barely had the infrastructure mm -hmm. in four years. And then it was another four years until I opened Red Bank. And again, I wouldn't have opened it at that time. I really didn't have that infrastructure yet. I was a one-woman show. You know, I was running between both. I finally got a manager. Was that a control freak issue or a lack of help or? It was a lack of foresight that I needed that kind of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it until I opened the third. You only have so I, much capacity. You do. You know, there's only so much you could do. And I, when I tell you, we talked off camera a little bit about cars and mileage. I used to put 240,000 miles on my car before I would get rid of it. And that would happen in three to four years. Yeah. Like I was chronic, like constantly in the car. Running. Garden State Parkway was, you know, my, basically my home. Yeah. Um, made all my calls in the car, which was great. Took my deep breaths in the car, cried in the car, mm -hmm. had my mental breakdowns in the car. That's where I was. And, you know, there was, it's actually a pretty funny story. My daughter was in the back seat and I didn't realize how much she was absorbing. You know, and she's like two years old and she's going through potty training and she's in pull-ups and all of a sudden she comes out. Sorry, I don't know if I can curse, but... You, you can do whatever you want. You know, the first time your kid curses, it's actually kind of funny. Yeah, it and is. she, like, was holding a diaper and apparently, like, she'd been hearing a lot of my conversations in the car. And she came down and she used it perfectly and she had a pull-up in her and she's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and because she had been apparently... What the fuck? She wanted help yeah. to, like, do this for... And I guess I wasn't paying attention then. So, are you, what are you fucking kidding me? I was like, all right. So I got to lock it up in the car. Mm -hmm. um, but so Red Bank forth. happened a little bit too quickly again. But again, my dad passed away. That's how I wound up in Red Bank because he actually owned that building. How many years partner. ago was that? Nine years. Nine years. Yeah. So you now have three locations yep. in total. What is what is the future of, of Toast? And I think we I didn't want to go a ton into you know what's different about your place. I think you gave a lot of color on that. Yeah. And what you took from New England style breakfast mm -hmm. place and brought that here to Jersey, North Jersey as well as the shore. So I think people can quickly put together what your your restaurant is about. Yeah. What is the future of Toast? So growth for sure. Growth and an exit for me to We're be honest. Franchising. Depends. You know, it could be licensing. It could be corporate, more corporate stores. We're going to be opening our fourth store in September. We're in the Cranford. Process. In Cranford. Yep. You, that's breaking news because nobody knows that yet. Oh, Cranford. <laughs> um, you heard it here first. And we'll see. I took on a partner, a very strategic partner, uh, about a year and two months ago. And he was kind of a mentor to me. And in all of our dealings back and forth, he came from a very large restaurant group, big corporate background. He had all the skill set to grow. Um, he started with the his former company when they were at 10 locations and built them to like over 300. What was that? At Villa Restaurant Group. Villa. Yeah, so, and he always says like, he would still after 28 years at Villa have to explain to people like who they were. Yeah. And when he started telling people who was with Toast, no matter where he went, they were like, oh, my God, we love Toast. The only problem is we can't get in. Yeah, they right? know what it is. So he was like, your brand recognition on three stores was, like, amazing compared to that. So it brought him in, again, a very strategic partner. He's very different. Brand is, is extremely important. Huge. Yeah, and I think as small business owners, we overlook that. It's not the big swoosh of Nike or, you know, the Under Armour sign. Uh, as small business owners, and you said you, you embody your brand. I embody Fireside America. I embody the pit. I embody Ryan and, and Ryan's enterprise through and through, and I don't ever come off brand. 
And uh, I think that as you do that over time, just like any other small thing that you're, you're doing in your life, it compounds, uh, especially with a brand, well, small or, or big. Like, again, you are your brand, right? Yeah. And it's like, I guess if you wear... But a your... lot of people don't brand. And it doesn't mean they don't have success no. as a small business owner, but they don't have a brand. And in my industry, again, so 16 years ago, there were not a lot of breakfast brunch places only, right? You had Jersey Diners. Which have you, gone away, really. They are. And there's a reason, right? There's no more shift workers. So yeah. you don't have those people that are getting off from printing newspapers at 4 a.m. They used to come into your place. And even hospitals, right? Hospital workers used to do three, seven hours. Or that wouldn't make sense. Three, eight hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now there's only... 12-hour shifts in a hospital, so you don't get the, those shift that. workers. So it makes sense that there's no more 24-hour, or at least it's a dying breed. Um, but I forget where I was going with this. Bring, yeah, me, well, back. We're, we're, Bring we're, me back. Yeah, well, we were talking about the <laughs> restaurant. Oh, the future of toast. Yeah, and we were talking about toast. Yeah, so a strategic partner of a guy who I know can grow it. So somebody wiser than me said, you know, you did the magic trick. Going from zero to one, one to two, two to three. It's the hardest. It really is. So now we have the brand recognition. It's kind of in a box. We have to systemize and we have to make sure that you get the same corned beef hash here in Asbury that you get in Red Bank, that you get in Montclair. Absolutely. Um, and, but not being cookie cutter, because that's one thing that I want to avoid. I don't want to be a franchise. You know, I see a lot of people out there that are doing it. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their food is mediocre at best. We're the a scratch kitchen. The consistency starts to lack. It's hard across, you know, Paul from Bubba Coos has a great brand, him and his partner, and they do an excellent job. And I am critical of Paul because he's critical of me. You know, his, at times, stores consistencies lack. Absolutely. And, and Paul's well, the first. Well, I don't mean about Paul, but about my own. Yeah, no, I'm saying about Paul. And, and what he self-admittedly says is as it grows and it scales so fast, it's so hard. As much as you're trying, you just don't have enough time in a day. And you can hire staff and regional people, but it's just, it's not you. Yeah, and it's funny because people think they're giving me a compliment. They're like, we have the corned beef hash here, like wherever they're seeing me, whichever location it is. It's so much better here. And I'm like... That is the last thing I want to hear. Yeah. You know, like, I damn, wanna... I hate my manager up there. Well, and then I go, I say, think to myself, is it like your experience at the mountains? Are they having a different experience? Because it is a day off and they're at the beach. But the, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mind thing. It is. Times. I mean, yeah. there's definitely some merit to that for sure. Do you spend most of your time down here at the Now Adelaide? I do. So yeah. I spent my first four years exclusively in Montclair. And then I really was splitting my time pretty well. COVID to now, I'm mostly down here. I moved full-time to Bradley Beach. Um, so I definitely spend more time down here. But, you know, that's another, you know, trick. How It's like the minute you let your, the gas off of one location, the cat's away. So you have to kind of visit it yeah. multiple times a week. If not, you know, it's going to fall by the wayside. And mm-hmm. as listen, nobody else is the owner, Yep. right? They can take ownership. They're still not the owner. Yeah. It's so not their baby. It's not. And yep. just like you know every nook and cranny of your baby's face, mm-hmm. and you walk in, and if they, they had the millimeter scratch yeah, on their face, I can walk into the restaurant and be like, there's no powdered sugar on that. Why don't they have a spoon? Mm-hmm. Why is there dirt in that corner? Yep. Like, you just see it right away. Well, you're doing an excellent job, and I think whatever you choose to do moving forward, franchises, licensing, 
or just opening, you know, 15 more that are corporate stores, you, your team, your partner are going to have a tremendous amount of success. Thank you. I want to round this podcast out. I ask two questions always. The first question is if there was any young woman, young man that's going into business ownership, entrepreneurship, what's the one thing that you would tell them? And, and, and please keep it short because I don't need it to be, I want something that's impactful. So one, this might be a little controversial. Um, the first thing, this isn't the controversial part, patience and perseverance, right? That's really the only thing that's going to like get you to at least your first store because you can have a million ideas. I had 10 ideas before I opened Toast mm-hmm. and I never pulled the trigger. Yeah. And then the second thing, and I think it's actually probably an unconventional way of thinking, especially for a lot of self-made people, um, my corporate experience was huge for me. Mm-hmm. And it was huge because I had to have accountability to other people because once you're on your own, you need to be one million percent self-motivated. You have no one else to answer to. So getting your ass up out of bed, you're the finance department, you're yeah. the marketing department, you're everything. The self-accountability. And That's where a coach comes in, the pit 2.0. There you go. Um, but if, you know, again... 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot yeah. of life coaches out there. Well, there wasn't, there wasn't virtual, I'm not a life coach. I'm, <laughs> I'm a there wasn't a coach. business coach. There wasn't an anything coach. But yeah, the, the, the virtual world has allowed for a lot of that community and, and that, Absolutely. that virtual and relationship. Absolutely, and you didn't have that then. But I think a lot of the corporate structure that I got, because you, you need to be that. You can't be you know, a, a real company. And honestly, for the first two stores, I wasn't a real company. I was making money in spite of yeah. myself because yeah, I outworked just, a lot of people. You were just working. Yeah. My accounts, my books were probably like, we did two. Okay. We did two podcasts this week. Last night was another one, Roadly, and he's a young kid doing 30 million in a logistic company. God it's bless. just insane. And we talked about that same thing. He went 10 years in the freight uh, brokerage space and learned every single system, learned every single part of the business, every single facet before he went and launched his own thing. Yeah, and I do huge. agree with that. And you don't have, like, I wasn't in the restaurant business in the corporate world. Yeah, I was in fragrance. But there was template. still structure. And, again, there was filling out all these, you know, expense reports. And just, again, yeah. having accountability to somebody else. EOS. What's EOS? EOS. Entrepreneur Operating System. It's actually, uh, I don't know exactly how many entrepreneurs were the, the, the think tank of putting it together. But it's the entrepreneur system for the entrepreneur who never was in corporate America. It's something that myself and my team operate, uh, That's implemented. Huge. It is everything because a lot of times you're just flowing through. Although I am a numbers guy, I'm a money positioning guy, I'm a tax guy, I'm actually terrible on a spreadsheet. Because spreadsheets and money is not math, math is not money, I think it's actually irrelevant. It's more about the positioning of money and yeah. your tactics around it. Um, but you know, the accountability of tracking those numbers going, hey, we didn't, we didn't hit this. Well, what didn't we do? Who's accountable for that that seat, right? Who's supposed to sit in that seat? Do they have the capacity to do it? Do they have the desire to do it? And it, it walks through that corporate structure that the entrepreneur usually lacks. But if you have the time and you have the desire to go into a corporate structure, I couldn't agree more. Me, I would have never made it. They would have fired me in two weeks. <laughs> I would have thought the same thing about myself, but I actually was fairly successful in it because... Yeah. I was fired from Lowe's pretty quickly. I was... I was a I was a worker, right? So, and that's really what they were looking for. I was a big um, mouth. I was definitely a big mouth. Actually, one of the best pieces of advice. I, well, I don't know if it was advice for a, a, a dig. I was I was had the gift of gab even back then, right? Like if I didn't do this, I should have been a lawyer. 
because I could argue myself out of a paper bag. And uh, a guy who was in like the technical side, I was on the creative side. He said to me, you know, in the middle of this back and forth, he looked at me and he goes, you know, that listening is also a skill. And I left that day, and I was like, "Ooh, that burned a little bit." Yeah, and that motherfucker. Oh, Bob Manzo. I'm I still listen remember to his shit name. out of him next time. Yep, Bob Manzo, and he was like, he came from Kodak. I was like, "What the fuck do you know?" Yeah. And meanwhile, it. I'm still talking about it 35 years later. There was a crazy story about Kodak. Actually, I think Jake Cooperman brought that up. Uh, he wasn't on the podcast yet, but we'll get to that. But Kodak's whole story is really unique. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting off track. Okay. The second question I like to ask, or more of you know comments from you give a shout out to two or three other business owners here locally this whole podcast will always be predicated on giving the local business owners love are we going nationally absolutely is that going to continue to happen absolutely it will always be about small business though yeah and it would more importantly be about local so give us some local love rattle off two or three business restaurants bars Oh, gosh. I, I should have thought about this because you do ask this at the end of every single show. I do. Um, well, we already talked about Freshicles, but they're not local. But you can talk about that later. Freshicles. Freshicles. Make sure you get your Freshicles. Exactly. Make your cool testicles your, cool. <laughs> cool your jewels. I can't believe yeah. I'm saying that on camera. Um, so, hair love, believe it or not. There's a really small hair salon in Bradley Beach. Mm -hmm. And... Liz is the owner, and this other girl, Anna, works there. And I, they, she did something that was pretty unique. She was a young, up-and-coming hairstylist that was working for, like, one of the largest salons in, like, Belmar. And she found this tiny little salon that, like, catered to, like, 70-plus, right? They were doing, like, roller sets. And she went in there, and she bought the business. She kept a bunch of the older stylists on to continue with that clientele, but then brought in this, like, very, you know, she was working in Asbury Park and doing everybody that had like the green and the blue hair. And she kept the two stylists on and she created this amazing environment in Bradley Beach. And so Hair Love would be one. Um, her name is Liz Curry. And another one, let me think about this. I know you love Do you know Teak and Red Bank? In Red Bank. Yep. So Teak, and he also has Bistro. He's got a few other restaurants. Greek guy. Greek guy. Yeah, George. Yeah. And he's in business with two of his brothers. But, man, that guy is like my brother from another mother. He mm -hmm. is a grinder. Now, I don't know. The Greeks always say that. It's kind of like the Italians. The cousins, the cousins, cousins. We know his cousin, Valentino. Uh, oh, Contos, you know, he's another guy. He owns a steak joint. He owns a bunch of construction. And Gabrielle's? Is that? Not Gabrielle's, okay. no. Um Steak place up in what is it Edison? Yeah, they're all connected. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. Some but George is a great guy, and like the they all way, hustle. The way that I met George is actually an interesting story. So when I took over the Red Bank space, I was closing down a twenty-four hour diner. I'd never met George in my life, and social media. Wait, hold on. Where is Toast in Red Bank? It's the old Broadway diner. So the the, the silver thing. Yeah. Oh, so I actually have been to Toast. Well, you haven't been there as Toast, so... Yes, I have. Really? How many years ago did you open it? Eight. Absolutely been there. All right, so Me and Keith Mandel, he's one of my Amex reps. I've, I've met there many times. All right, so now you're off the hook. Yep. But when I took that over and now was it making back. it... <laughs> perfect. When I was making it into a Toast, the Red Bank Green and you all those... You were making it a Toast? You were making a Toast or making it into a Toast? Making it into a Toast. Um, the town went bananas. We should toast some things you have to celebrate. 
Another restaurant opening I soon? was like, what are we talking about? Another restaurant opening <laughs> Can soon. Can we just talk about that one thing? No, another restaurant. So I want to tell you, I want to finish how I met George. So all of a sudden this guy, after like, there was literally like thousands of people bashing me on social media about how I was going to ruin the town and I can't believe it's not going to be a 24-hour diner anymore. And, you know, they didn't give a crap that it was because my dad People don't like away. change. They don't like change. And I, I, you know, and I knew enough, don't bite, mm-hmm. don't say anything. I don't know that I would take the same tactic now, but back then there was something wiser in me then. And I was like, don't say anything. All of a sudden this guy came out and fired, like went bananas on everybody. They're like, she lost her dad. The diner, although it was nostalgic, it sucked, blah, 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 blah. She's got an amazing place, give her a break. And it was George. Mm. So then he came into the restaurant. We've been very good friends since, but that guy's got a work ethic like no other I've ever it seen. It takes a cool vibe. I mean, that whole upstairs thing to have, the garage door. Yeah, that's new or new-ish. It is new-ish in the last three to four but years, But he's right? been there forever. That mm. guy should be the mayor of Red Bank because I've never seen anybody more passionate about doing business in a town like he is. Yeah, we just had our business summit, um, the Pit 2.0. We, we throw all different various entrepreneur, business owner events. And uh, we did our VIP dinner down in Buenos Serra, which is always oh, nice. also a unique restaurant there with that wine cellar, which is really cool. Red Bank is an, is an awesome place. You live here down at the shore. For those of you who don't know, it's only 30 minutes north, and you feel like you're in a, a mini New York City to yeah, a degree. Yeah, we definitely do. And uh, Red Bank's another amazing place that you picked, along with Cranford. Yep. Amy, this has been awesome. Very easy conversation. Truly, truly enjoyed it. Um, Thank you so much for yeah, having me. You're going to do anything that you want to do. You're going to take Toast as far as you want to take it, you and your partner. Um, I'm honored to have you. I'm going to go to Toast still this weekend in Asbury. <laughs> but I have been there now. This way you can actually like have it in the forefront yes. of your brain. Yeah, it's All a little right. close to me. Oh, right. I have been to Toast. Cheers. Thank you so much. Cheers. It's been fun. Thank you.